I haven't even looked at this one. I just love the title. Not sure what to do with this. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas, here with my good friend Daniel once again. And good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. Thank you. Good. Before we get uh, into anything this morning, we do want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Uh, those are our generous supporters, uh, kind-hearted folks who uh, enjoy this content and want to make sure that it keeps coming. And they've uh, taken it on themselves to help support. Uh, what we do here and uh, and help us pay for things like uh, internet hosting and an editor for the blog and an editor for the audio portion of this uh, venture. So thank you to our patrons. If you'd like to become one, you can go over to patreon.com slash reason together and uh, join up as a member there. All right. All right. Good. Well, we get to, uh, we said we'd kind of catch up. It's been again, what couple, a couple weeks, um, since yeah. we'd met and I'd been in the hospital, but not me really. I'd just been sleeping in the hospital <laughs> alongside. <laughs> along. You just figured, yeah, uh, that looks like a nice place to go visit yeah. and sleep. I'm going to go, yeah. go take a nap. My wife said she wanted me to take her somewhere expensive. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah. no, my son had uh, spinal fusion surgery and, uh, and we knew, we knew, you know, many people were praying and, I, and I'm sure we didn't know everyone who was praying. And that really was a blessing. It just seems like things have gone very well. But you probably know about this. Um, I I guess I didn't. But when you get towards surgery, they say there's this app that you can download. And then they they kind of talk you through it the morning of. And they, they'll communicate with you during surgery now. Yes. And they ask you as you're setting it up, do you want to see pictures and videos? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> because I'm all about that, you know. And um, so right. so anyway, that was really interesting during the surgery to see uh, to see some of what was going on. It's not like they recorded, you know, an hour and a half surgery, but I mean, it was it, right. it was a five, maybe five plus hour surgery. But um, but you get a, like like a 10 second snip you know of, of what was going on and you'd you'd see him opened up at one point it looked like there was you know five vice grips sticking out of his back and um it's mm -hmm. just a uh, phenomenal what uh what what they yeah. did and he's done very well well i mean i mean not to make it sound you know <clears throat> overly harrowing um but it, it kind of was, you know, you'd called it spinal fusion. But for a lot of folks, when they hear that, they're thinking, oh, my, my relative had spinal fusion. You know, they had two levels done or three levels done. You know, yeah, they got some no. hardware in there and they were up and walking, you know, pretty quick. And they were back to work in a few weeks and all that. That's not what we're talking about here. No, he had 13 <laughs> vertebrae um, uh, right. kind of fused or, or in place to fuse, as I understand the surgery. Right. Essentially, they straighten it put it in a position to fuse within a matter of weeks, but the bone will do that itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I saw a thumbnail of this, like a small picture of this. I, I think, uh, I think my wife had got it from your wife mm -hmm. on Facebook or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an x-ray of the post-op um, hardware. <laughs> yes. And it, it looked like it started, you know, just looking at the tiny picture, I couldn't see exactly where like T1, T2, somewhere mm -hmm. in there. Yes. All the way down to like L one, L two, L two was it? Yep. Okay, um, yeah, that's that's basically the entire thoracic vertebrae. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is the entire thoracic vertebrae. That's that's quite a. It was significant. It was significant. He gained, um, I think, a little over two inches in the process. He was noticeably taller. Of height. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he was yeah. noticeably taller. <clears throat> well, because uh, I guess I guess I don't know if we've told the listeners, but scoliosis was the issue, right? Yes, correct. Mm hmm. And, and a lot of people, uh, I don't think they realize how, you know, when he was, when he had his shirt on and stuff like that, obviously when he was just clothed, it didn't, it wasn't that obvious in a way. And, and I guess maybe it comes on in such a way that people don't go, oh my goodness. And it wasn't like the front, front to back right. kind of scoliosis, like a forward bend. It was a side right. bend. So yeah. anyway, it, uh, yeah, that, uh, the, the Lord really blessed through that and he's doing, doing well. Yeah, good. Um, just on a nerdy medical note here, uh, when there's a forward bend to the spine, that's called kyphosis. Okay, okay. And when there's a rearward bend to the spine, it's called lordosis. 
Okay. And when there's a side bend, it's called scoliosis. Okay. So it very appropriately was scoliosis. It was Okay. It was scoliosis. But I heard more than one person say, oh, I thought, you know, or something. And they were thinking of the forward bend, which I've seen that, but kyphosis. Yeah. yeah. There is, there's supposed to be some natural kyphosis to the thoracic spine and natural lordosis to the lumbar spine. Yes. Right. Um, but they can become excessive. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's really crazy is when somebody has both <clears throat> like, uh, like two out of the three, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> like they're all twisted up like yeah. a pretzel. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, I've seen a few like that. That's kind of rough, but, uh, praise the Lord that, uh, yes. his surgery went well. And, uh, I was kind of keeping in touch with you, uh, throughout, uh, the couple weeks here that we've been off recording and, and, uh, and waiting for updates and, and hearing how he's doing. And I was just really pleased to, to see how quickly, he was, you said he was even doing stairs. I mean, not like bounding up them, but he oh, was doing right. stairs. Yeah, and he did a fantastic <laughs> job. He, the first day, uh, you know, the actual day of surgery, by the time you get to your room and everything, it's maybe two in the afternoon. They just say, well, we want you to rest, you know, tonight. And uh, then tomorrow, well, the next day he was up. Um, and then I think the next, let's see. Yeah. The next day he did stairs. Mm. Yep. Wow. And, and, and that next day, so he was, uh, he was in basically two days and we went home. Wow. Yep. So we got, it was kind of uh, not, well, it's kind of funny because getting him into the car, we had kind of a small car, like a, I guess I'd say sort of a small to medium sized car. And, uh, so we're trying to get him in the car to get comfortably home. Cause it's, it's about, it's a two hour, 40 minute drive from the hospital. Of course, he's very tender and, and, and sure. really trying to sit back and things like that. Not, so we got pillows in the seat and blah, 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 you know, kind of got it set up. Well, actually getting his body in the car was kind of hard because partly maybe because of that extra couple inches, <laughs> a little bit of that. So because he's like trying to bend his, he had to like bend his head. Well, that didn't really, you know, that wasn't real comfortable. So I had to actually sit up sort of on the ed front edge of the seat and, you know, angle him towards the corner of the door frame, you know, and finally <laughs> get him in the, get him in the car. Once we got him in, he was yeah. the first half of the trip, um, went real well. And we got out, um, at, you know, there's not much between us and there. And we got out and walked around a little bit and then got back in. By the time he got home, he yeah. was, he was sore, but he really handled the trip. Well, he's been a good patient. And, um, anyway, it's <clears throat> quite yeah. a, quite a process. Amazing that, it was like he went a week and a half out one day. He went all day without pain medication. And then at the, at night, you know, uh, my wife said, well, you probably should take a couple of Tylenol before you go to bed. But I mean, you think, wow, this major surgery, probably like a 15 inch incision, you know, what you've gone through in a week and a half out, you're not using pain medication. I mean, that's, I, I just think that's amazing. What it, is it's, it's incredible to me sometimes how quickly young people, heal things i mean they're just so much faster it seems <laughs> um, now obviously he's but, still feeling stiff and it's gonna the, the two weeks kind of intense and then uh and then uh you know we'll follow they'll follow up a number of times with him and things like that but i mean just this initial yeah. healing phase is uh has really gone well and i'm thankful for those who prayed and praise the lord for how it's turned out yeah amen yeah now you uh you had called me um with somewhat of an amusing story uh, that um, uh, about one of his nurses see, oh, is that yeah I, I can't remember oh oh <laughs> yes oh this was so interesting so um it might have been that first night when they switched over to the night shift this i want to say kid but the, <laughs> that one, <laughs> i guess what a good kid um you know, uh, he comes in they, and it, she introduces kind of the, these two night uh, nurses who are going to take care of um, of my son. And so anyway, they get to, well, he's in the room and he's interacting with my son. And I thought, he sounds like Tom and he, and, and looks like Tom. Um, and and uh, because he looked, he was like a blonde version of you, sort of. I mean, he was like built, you know, like where his his biceps were like the size of my thigh or whatever, you know. And it was, um, and and so it's like, wow, that's really interesting. Well, it we didn't really say it to each other, but my son was thinking this reminds me of Mr. Tom, 
and or whatever. And my wife's laying over there just listening to his voice. She's not actually looking. She's just laying there kind of where they have sort of the bed in the room where we can we can sleep mm. in his same room. And she's like, that sounds like Tom Balsam. <laughs> so independently, we're all thinking Tom. And uh, so the, it was just interesting, like his inflection, his um, the way he might word something. Maybe it was his humor. Uh, of course, his appearance to some degree. It was really interesting um, having like a mini reincarnated Tom, like, it was, it, like maybe almost like a guardian angel thing, you know? <laughs> Do you think like, like, like maybe I just decided to take a trip out there and dye my hair and, yeah, and like, surprise you all or something? I just texted you, Tom, thank you so much for that attempted undercover uh, care for my son. But I know the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 uh, you know, to be, to be fair, you know, no self-respecting radiographer is going to ever disguise himself as a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I did think, I thought, no, Tom actually wouldn't really wouldn't want to do this. <laughs> I want to do this, but <laughs> no, no, no offense to all you nurses that might be listening out there, but uh, if there are any, but you know, the rivalry is real. <laughs> <laughs> But it just was interesting to hear someone that just reminds you in voice and somewhat of appearance and his manner, yeah. you know, whatever of, of someone it's, else. Yeah. It's, it's a, a doppelganger. So, yeah. So thanks for trying to be yeah. in there for me, with me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I planned it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey. Yeah. Well, I suppose we ought to do some sort of uh, productive uh, <laughs> reasoning together. Yes, right. And so I was thinking about the purpose of our podcast and listeners, thank you for, um, for tuning in here, for choosing to listen. Uh, that means something to us. And, you know, our desire here is to reason together. And, um, and we wanted, we wanted from the outset you to, uh, to see or to hear a discussion between two friends that was, uh, that was biblical, that was, um, uh, open, I guess you could say, it was maybe somewhat transparent, uh, to, to, to demonstrate two things. Number one, you can have a friend like that. And number two, you can have a conversation like that. And mm -hmm. so we want to encourage you in, in uh, the difficult, sometimes difficult, sometimes just uh, interesting, amusing questions of life. You, you truly can reason through these things and uh, give yourself room to reason and uh, come to a biblical conclusion. So we've got a, a list of yeah. relatively unrelated things here. Anything you want to jump into, Tom? Well, I mean, they all look good, but we have uh, a couple here that are from listeners. And I know that at least one of them here has been on the list for a few weeks. And I, I kind of feel bad about not getting to that sooner. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. And that is the one about public sin here. Okay. Um, did we want to tackle yeah. that one? Yeah, I'm not seeing it. So you go ahead and uh, open it up. That's fine. Okay. Um, this is from one of our patrons. Uh, from James, and uh, he says, what constitutes a public sin? I've heard many preachers preach and teach that according to Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, you deal with a sin publicly if the sin was public. Do you agree with the statement as is, or does it need clarifying? Um <laughs> <laughs> he, it's like he knows us. Clarifying <laughs> what? Um, oh, there's there's four different things he asks here. Do we want to take them one at a time, or yeah, probably. Do you want me to read not, them all first? I'm, I'm, I wish I could. Uh, let me try to pull yeah, this up. Well, well, let me ask you this: Do you agree oh, here with the statement that public sin is dealt with publicly and private sin is dealt with privately? Or does that need clarifying? Um. Generally, I guess I would say so. Uh, I don't know that I would overly pick it apart, but I, I do. I'll give examples in a minute of uh, of how what it means to deal with it, um, deal with it publicly. I, I get the concept that if someone flagrantly sinned, the people who saw it um, may need to see that it's being dealt with. You understand what I'm saying? Right. That if, if they don't see sure. any any action, they'll go. They'll assume that it's not being dealt with. Um, and so, yeah, so maybe I'll just throw this in now. So I'm thinking of it, yes, from a pastoral standpoint, but also from a parenting standpoint. When you know your children see one of the other children, you know, 
going crazy or whatever, you know, doing something obviously wrong. They, they, they can tell his older siblings, no, that, that wouldn't be right. Mom and dad wouldn't like that. And then they don't see you act on it. Well, the assumption is that you're letting them get by with it. So mm-hmm. to deal with it, it may not mean that you just swoop the child up and, you know, and raise your voice or spank them right in front of everybody, but it may mean, come here. Yeah. Go to my room. Yeah. Okay. They know something's about to ensue. They don't know all what the details are, but they know that you've noticed it, that it's, that it's something that you stop to actually um, yeah. re- reroute and you're dealing with it. So you don't understand what I'm saying. The dealing with sure. maybe uh, have a spectrum there, but it's, they know, they know you noticed it. Yeah. I had one time in church, it was about five minutes before church was going to start. So people were there, they were taking their seats and, you know, the, you know, Rosa was getting ready to play the piano and all of that. And, um, this man who was a member started yelling at his wife. They had had like a, a little spat or something that started before church and they already came in angry and, um, he just started berating her like n- not, I'm not talking low volume. Like he was yelling oh my. at her Wow, and berating her and she just kind of shriveled up in the seat and started crying and it was it was horrible um not just that someone would do that but that they would lose their control so much that they would do that in front of the their church um yeah uh you know the word blessed subtraction comes to mind because thankfully we don't have to deal with that anymore uh long story short but um all that to say in that moment um I came over and I, you know, cause I mean, it, it looked like it could get violent the way that he was yelling. Um, I didn't think it would, but you know, it could have. So I, I, I approached him almost immediately and said, can we speak out in the hallway? Um, so we went out in the hallway and one of the, I don't know if that was the first time, but it, it, it's, it's kind of one of the more prominent times I remember actually having to rebuke someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was gentle about it. Um, and he took it well at the time, but, um, I insisted that he apologize to his church family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because this was a very public sin and, and he did, you know, and, and the matter was resolved, but a lot of times you might run into families where that sort of stuff happens at home privately, mm-hmm. which I'm certain with them that it did, mm-hmm. um, but in a case like that, when it's private, you know, they might maybe come to a pastor for counseling or something like that. There's no reason for that to be made public. (laughs) But when he just did this in front of the church, well, that then becomes a public issue. Now, the reason why I think to answer James's question, does that statement sometimes need clarifying is because when certain situations evolve, and this is kind of the next thing he asks, is when it comes to an evolving situation, when does it get to the point where the entire church needs to know? Uh, I think that's going to vary widely Mm -hmm. depending on the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But church people in general aren't stupid, and they can kind of tell when something is wrong. And I think it can get to a point where not telling the church uh, something might almost make the matter worse. You know, if it's something that people are not repenting of, like they should, mm-hmm. you know, when you've gone through the proper protocol, the Matthew 18 protocol that we often talk about, <clears throat> you know, and they're still unrepentant and the church is wondering what's going on. And they're coming up maybe with notions in their own head of what might be going on and maybe mm-hmm. getting the wrong idea. And and uh, and there seems to be divisions happening over it. And you know how divisions happen in most of the churches in our circle. They often don't happen openly. They happen silently mm-hmm. with resentment, um, and and that's that's kind of how we do things in our our circle. Uh, <laughs> it seems so. Well, um, rather than let that go on, there may be a time where you need to consider just letting the church know at least the things that you can let them know. Uh, here's what's going on. We are dealing with it. You know, we don't want the church to think we're just letting this go unanswered. We are dealing with it. You need to know that. Uh, and so on. Where I think a difficulty comes in is where uh, is where you draw the line of what's the church's responsibility or what um, what constitutes a sin against the church. 
for instance, uh, you know, a family, they don't have the standards that this family does over here. And so they go to the, they go to the beach and they post a video of them at the beach or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, oh my goodness. Did you see how so-and-so was, was, is dressed and, you know, and well, blah, blah, blah. Should, should that person be helping out with this ministry of the church over here? Because, well, you know, sometimes getting into the, to the personal matters of a church is that like, well, are they violating our doctrinal statement or are they just sort of not where we would want them to be in terms of right. sanctification? You understand? <clears throat> right. Well, I mean, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he identified different types of Christians. There were the unruly and there mm. were the feeble-minded. Mm. And I think there's one other in that passage. Um, was it weak? Did he call them weak? That, I don't remember. I'm not sure. Um, Comfort the feeble mind, warn the unruly, comfort the feeble minded. Um, boy, I'm, I'm not finding it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's in one of the Thessalonians. Um, but, you know, a lot of times Christians will maybe live a somewhat carnal and, and worldly lifestyle because they are feeble minded. And, and by that, I think it just means they don't know enough yet. Mm. You're correct. The other one is weak. Is weak. Okay. Yeah. First and, Thessalonians uh, five fourteen. First Thessalonians five fourteen. Okay. Um, so I mean, you have to make a distinction between someone who's feeble minded and they're growing, they're just very very slow, and they may take a while to pick up on things. Whereas someone who's unruly, <clears throat> he says, warn them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess it's up to yes, wow, the, the leadership to identify. You know, does this person know better? Unruly means you you know better, but you you breach what you know is is proper and good. Um, why? And that's what I understand. You know, and I, I get that there's a balance here. You know, we can't warn everybody all the time about everything. You know, we would just never get anything done. You know, we'd be picking apart everyone so much that there's just nothing more we can do. Um, there's a balance there, but on the other hand. Yes. You know, there is the tendency to maybe not ever warn the unruly because we know if we do, they're going to leave the church or they're going to make a stink or they're going to get angry. And we want to maintain the relationship as long as possible in hopes that they pick something up. But I mean, how many years do you have to pastor somebody who's unruly before you realize they're not picking this up? They're not picking up what I'm putting down and I need to warn them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just a balance in that. It's interesting. I, I have to. Wow. Um, because we say unruly, I'm, I'm, I want to look at the, um, the, uh, word here. Okay. okay. So it's not like I was, I was thinking maybe in terms of rules, um, you know, like they're not following the rules unruly, like as in unrighteous, but that's really not the idea here. It's more like, uh, it's a more unarranged, you know, they're not in order. Um, right. So, um, yeah, it's just I still think, you know, learning to there there are those people um that man, they're on it. If you're if you're just like off a little bit and they're boom, they're gonna they're gonna uh, yep. unfortunately to use the word pounce. And I don't know if it's yep. the um, well, if I gotta do it, you gotta do it. If it's that mentality right. or 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 what exactly it is, but it's not so much of a shepherding heart or or um uh, you know, giving someone some space to grow or, or thinking right. about the approach. It's, Hey, they're not, they're not, they're not who they ought to be. Yeah. Well, look, none of us are right. who we ought to be. So at what point are we telling people, Hey, you need to stop this. Well, you need to stop this. Well, you need to stop. Well, we all need to stop something probably. You know what I mean? We're all, we right. all are in constant need of change and transformation. So, so identifying what is that thing that is, uh, you have sinned against the church or you have, you have jeopardized the testimony of our church. Well, right. okay. We got to think now, obviously if it's a doctrinal statement thing and they violate the doctrinal statement. Okay. Well, that's sort of a given. I mean, you know, um, well, there, well, there's, I think there's two main focuses that the new Testament takes on this when it comes to dealing with, uh, sin in the church is that, well, number one, like you said, it can ruin the testimony of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, and, 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 and I don't have any, any data in front of me for this, but it seems like, and this is a big seems like, it seems like a large majority of the times when sin is dealt with in the church, 
one of the predominant factors that is being preserved is unity. Okay. In dealing with it. And in other words, the, the sin has come to a point where uh, it is creating okay. division, division in the church. Okay. okay. Good point. And Good point. now, now you have people on, on either side of the issue because people have to make a, you know, judgment begins at the house of God. People are making a determination. This person is living in this kind of lifestyle. Do I agree with this? Or do I not agree with this? And you're going to have half the church agree with it. The other half might not agree with it. Um, and it might not be that the half of the church that agrees with this, the, you know, this person is is like in agreement with the sin that they're doing. They're just in agreement with it being left alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And the other half wants it dealt with mm -hmm. like, like now, like yesterday. And it's going to create a split or a division in the church. Um, and it seems a lot of times... Um, both the testimony of the church must be considered in making a matter public, but also the unity of the church is a big deal, a really big deal, it seems, in all the passages where this is dealt with in the New Testament. That's a good thought. Now, uh, uh, aside, before we get on to his third question here, a side thought here, would do you think that this has anything to do with the kind of, the diet of preaching that comes from the pulpit, meaning should should the pastor be setting more of a, you know, a standard in the sense that this is what we expect of you as, as a church for us. And, and well, I know for you too, um, we actually have a church covenant, um, where mm -hmm. it's basically saying, you know, as a part of this church, as a member of this church, my desire is to display this and to display this and to be this way. If, if people haven't mm -hmm. heard of a Baptist church covenant, you can look it up. I can, uh, you could look it yep. up even on, uh, well, no, I guess it's not on our website. Our statement of faith is, but um, anyway, that church covenant, you know, you at least have grounds to go to someone and say, look, you know, when you, when you became a member, you signed on to this covenant that said you wanted to display this and that. So, I mean, that does provide somewhat of a standard, but my concern is that Obviously, in what we term fundamentalism, so many men have taken the concept of standard and have drawn a pretty dark and pretty dark line. And I don't mean that like dark as in the terms of like Star Wars dark. I mean a dark as bold in line. a bold line uh, with certain things that don't seem to be the priority in life per se to to other people like myself. Um, so anyway, so they, they really made this standard that if you're going to come here, you got to look like this, you got to talk like this, you got to dress like this, you got to shave like this, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So, so, but it is part of that church discipline where there's not a strong um, standard coming, you know, a strong preaching coming from the pulpit that, that, that identifies how members of this church should be expected to live. Does that kind of muddy the waters of discipline? What having a, a preacher that does not really make correct yes. standards clear? Yeah. Um. Hmm. Boy, there, there's so much to that question. Yeah. Um, too big. There, you know, <laughs> and there, and books have been written. Books have been written on the preaching of standards. I'm thinking of mm -hmm. one in particular by Mike Allison. Okay. Uh, that was written years ago. A thin little book on the preaching of standards. Um. And. It, you know, agree or disagree, you know, you have to be able to prove a standard biblically to have it at all, right? Uh, in the first place. Well, especially as an institutional standard. I mean, it can be an application of my own life that yeah. I feel like this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to do, but applying it broad, broad brush, you yeah. have to be able to make pretty good, yeah. You have to make a pretty good case for it. And, and, and the preaching of standards often puts a very fine point on a particular application. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and there are both sides of this and we may be kind of, I don't, we may be slightly different from each other on this. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm oftentimes willing to put a fine point on certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas I think you kind of take the opposite approach where you kind of want to preach, you know, and just kind of let people figure it out. Um, the, and the principle and, and let them apply it to some degree. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I would say that I tend to do that the majority of the time. Um, with most things, but I think some, sometimes you kind of need to put a fine point and, and mm -hmm. I think we should be willing to occasionally put a fine point on something, but the preaching of standards, at least as it was presented in that book, um, that I read years ago, uh, by Mike Allison is that 
every standard needs to have a fine point put on it. You <laughs> should be wearing this. You should be doing that. You should be listening only to this and all these other things. And and at a certain point, you're you are just kind of controlling people's thinking at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not really letting the word of God do its work right. or the Holy Spirit of God do its work. You haven't convinced them. You've just educated right. their conscience. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm thinking of a song um, that some people I know put on one of their CDs. <laughs> um, and it has a line in it that says, but we make God's love too narrow by false, false limits, limits of, of our, our own. own. Yes. And we magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own. Yep. Yep. I love that line yeah that's just a fantastic song um by the way that's that's your guys cd in case anyone uh, doesn't know what i'm what i'm pointing out there um but yeah i I think sometimes the preaching of standards can can actually do that um and it's it's making god's love too narrow by using false limits that we've made that don't necessarily come from scripture and and we become zealous about it in a way that not even god himself would be yes um right and and, and I know we're kind of on a, on a rabbit trail here. We, we've gone a little bit into a tangent. But what that means then to, the, to James's question is that there are some churches that can get so far into those weeds now that everyone's life is policed by essentially a man-made rule book than, you know, than by scripture itself. Yeah, I guess that's what's kind of what, um, yeah, the point of our discussion is kind of warning against the fact that sometimes it's... Um, not just that black and white as far as what is an evolving situation. You're going to have to take that case right. by case and, and the Holy Spirit's guidance there. All right, move on right. to three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and I do think people should be given lots of room to grow. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the people will not grow. And that's the reality of, of ministry is people will not grow at the rate you think they should. <laughs> Just it's just a and of course it's the, just a thing you're the rate I think to. they should would be myself. <laughs> That's the oh, standard. of course. If they grow like well, I always. do, they're right. If they don't grow like I do, well, right. sure. If they that's, grow, if they grow that's, faster that's, than I do, they're like sort of weird, and they're like uh, right. No. <laughs> but, but you see that point. That point is both fair and unfair at the same time because what other what other um, example do I know but my own? And uh, yeah. oftentimes, and not every time, but oftentimes preachers are people who maybe grew up in church. They've been around this a long time. Um, they've, they've been learning things, whether purpose, purposefully or just picking it up in an ancillary fashion. They learn these things over time. And then you go into ministry and you're like, why don't these people know what I know? <laughs> so, I'm telling them, I'm telling them, why won't they grow? And, uh, and, and and we have to give them room because many people didn't grow up with the same things we grew up with. And to some people that might look like you're being a lax preacher. Like you're just kind of letting something go that should be warned and dealt with. Right. Well, well yes. it's not, it's not that they're being unruly necessarily in every case. They're, they're just behind a little bit where you think they should be and you have to give them that room. Um, Anyway, again, if I can make one more thought, it's interesting as you're saying that um, I think, again, of parenting, um, my wife's made the, the statement that, you know, you, you it's like you teach the first one that, you know, the first one you kind of go like hyper on uh, they're like the guinea yes. pig, like ah, whatever. Yes. And then the next one comes along and you tend to think that the next one knows what the first one knows. Yes. So you're like, you know, go, go clean your room. Or what, you know, go do it. And you sort of expect them to like know what to do and do it perfectly or something. And then you get frustrated when they don't do it until maybe you finally realize, wait, I guess I've never actually spent time with that one teaching them like I did the first one. And so when you mentioned that sometimes we accumulate knowledge over years of time, I mean, how many times have we heard it? How many times has it been repeated? And now we preach it and we might expect people like, well, doesn't it make sense first time? Boom. Come on, let's grab it. Let's go and not realize that these people may need a repetition several times over years of time. Uh, And so permitting them that, as you're saying, permitting them that growth by understanding how fast did we really learn this thing and and recognizing that we can't just assume that they know something that we know and uh, and in a shorter time. All right. Thanks. Right. Sure. Um, James's question goes on. Uh, he says, point number three here, if it does, if the sin does need to be made public to the church, what means 
would you use by way of announcement? He asks. Um, I mean, uh, I, I don't. I don't know how else. You're right. I was going to say I don't um, know of another way because you can't start just having I'm personal not put conversation. It on <laughs> <laughs> That'd be an announcement. Um, yeah, yeah. To me, in in essence, you want to make it known to the people, you know, not just like in personal conversations, so that it gets spread again through the grapevine, but that everybody sort of hears it directly, and yet not more people than need to know. So right. it might be on a, I, w- I would think maybe on a Sunday night or where you say, we're going to right. have a special meeting concerning a, uh, a struggle that, uh, of which many of us are aware or whatever. And yeah. you kind of make it a closed no, meeting. The, um, it's just a thought. I think I know, I know your reason for saying this, but why Sunday night, not Sunday morning, just for the sake of our listeners? Because Sunday morning, you tend to have maybe more visitors or more, uh, yeah, more of your, uh, even I know we talk about outside people or your, 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 um, your fringe people or your the Sunday morning only sun- crowd. Yeah. Right. And I, and not, not to, I'm not totally bashing all them. I mean, they are part of the church too, some of them, but, but other times you do have ones that, yeah, are maybe not even, maybe not even members, but they, you know, they attend regularly or whatever. And so you just kind of mm-hmm. want to keep it to those who know and to those whom it affects. This is the membership of the church, yeah. you know, um, the, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 15, 15 visitors or a visiting family or, or, or right. guests or neighbors don't need to necessarily know. Yeah. And see, for me, Wednesday night would be probably where I would make such an announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, business meetings are typically on Wednesday nights. Uh, True. In, in many churches. And, and you, you are going to be dealing with even more of a different crowd, even than the Sunday morning and Sunday night true. crowd. This is true. Um, now, I, the reason yeah. I didn't say Wednesday is because, um, uh, you know, you mentioned it's causing division. Well, it's likely probably causing division in more people than the Wednesday night crowd to me, um, because the Wednesday night, you know, yeah. half a half. A, <laughs> I, I don't know. If this is statistically exactly right, but you know, uh, it kind of seems sometimes that maybe. Uh, Sunday night's half of Sunday morning, Wednesday night's half of Sunday night. So now if I'm down to like 25% and I announce it to the 25%, well, you know, uh, then is everybody going to know like they should know who, who are being bothered by it and who want to know that it's being dealt with? Well, you know, but I mean, that's, I, but yours is a different dynamic too. And that's, that's fine. I'm not sure. I'm just saying for me. Um, so number four, he says, you want to mind if I read it? Yeah, go ahead. Is there a different approach to how you would handle it if the sin was committed in public versus one that was found out in a public way? Um, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, for example, he's arrested for a DUI. Okay, he. Uh, okay, now he's uh, he's been pulled over. The police car is there. It's announced in the newspaper. Whatever. Do you do you have that locally? Right. Um, we actually. Have, <laughs> this is interesting yeah. to me that they'll they'll actually print in the newspaper certain offenses or like, like yeah. just like, wow. Okay. Boom. Uh, but I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think it's good. Yeah. So, okay. So now the guy's yeah. name is in the paper. Oh my goodness. Did you see that? And he's, that's a member of our church and he got, he got pulled over for DUI. So it was found out. Not that, you know, ever, not that, you know, he <laughs> brought a beer into church. Um, what's your yeah. thought on it? Hmm. Well, there's, there's complexity to that. Cause I mean, is he trying to hide the sin and it just gets found out anyway? Or mm. is it just something that inadvertently ends up in the newspaper? Or I, I don't know. It's just, it, it almost seems maybe like a partly unnecessary division here, uh, a categorical division. Uh, you know, the sin is the sin, whether we found out about it, you know, on our own or whether he did it publicly. I, I, I don't know that it I would, matters a ton. Yeah, I can't say that it matters much. Now, I will say, um, now, this is, may, may, may uh, create a bit of chatter. I don't know, and that's fine. Give us your, your feedback at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. We do actually have in our bylaws um, the uh, authority as, as a pastor to, um, to uh, announce what we, what we call an administrative exclusion. In other words, in certain situations where uh, something needs to be dealt with very promptly, um, then we can actually essentially make that decision that you are no longer a member of this church. Um, Right. And you say, well, that doesn't seem right. You know, Matthew 15. But 
So when I, when I think about, I'm reading the question where it says, um, if, a, if a sin was committed in the public, if a man stands up and he blatantly violates our doctrinal statement, you know, and, uh, and he's doing something egregious that, you know, he's signed on to, and he's maybe even been warned about, right? That you, you've mm-hmm. done this thing. We do not stand there as a church. That is aberrant doctrine then we can write a letter and say, you're no longer a member. Now, if, so you're talking about doctrinal issues. I'm talking about a doctrinal issue. But now other times, okay. you know, say if, you're, if we're talking about a behavioral issue, right, um, mm-hmm. then, then I could see handling in a way that, hey, can this be repaired? Okay, maybe it's found out this man's cheating. Go to him and say, that, this is not right, and you know that. Now, we want to repair this marriage, but this, is, you know, this would be a blot on the testimony of our church. It's wrong. Um, and, and this needs to be taken care of, you know, would you confess this and would you, would you repent of this, this behavior? You know what I mean? I, I'm not going to immediately walk over to the church necessarily and just church the guy, um, yeah. without, so trying you are to, still... without trying to repair and undo what's happening, you know? Yeah. So you are still following some sort of, uh, Matthew 18 esque protocol in, in doing that. But like, give me an example of a behavioral sin in the church that administrative exclusion is the answer for. I don't know that I could think of one. Now, again, not say that one doesn't exist, but um, but the one I was just saying was, yeah, it, that behavioral one, I don't think does warrant that per se, but um, okay. would have. So, so like, uh, what about in an instance where the same sin has been done by the same offender and they have been dealt with by church discipline more than once or at least once and the issue is repetitive is yeah. there a point oh, i could see where I you mean, stop I, going through the process sure i could see where that would be legitimate at a certain point yeah yeah because i mean at a certain point someone just isn't going to stop this they're just going to continue to do the same thing at a certain point i don't know that the whole process is even necessary <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's the same sin committed by the same offender in a repetitive way, and it's been dealt with more than once. Um, now is that to say that a person couldn't repent and come back? No, no. I mean, obviously whether it's by what we call administrative exclusion right. or by the Matthew 18 process, the point is, I mean, the, the desired outcome is of course, uh, unity and purity, but it's that this one would be restored. Uh, so we're not yeah. talking about excommunication in the sense that, hey, you violated our doctrinal statement. No. You're going to hell. There's no chance of return. You know, it's, of course. Well, no, we're talking we about don't. whether we're talking about whether you go through the whole process of privately approaching them and then bringing right. witnesses and then bringing it before the church, you know, and the church has to continually go through this roller coaster of discipline with this person over and over again. Um, at a certain point, I, I think it's maybe within the leadership's authority to say, you've done this before. And we don't want to put the church through this again. You're done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe not say it exactly like that, but, you know, we are on a time to podcast here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't have time. You're done. Period. Um, no. Um, so, and but, but of course, that also, um, the only reason you would um, uh, discipline someone out is because they're not repenting. So even in an administrative exclusion, it's, it's because of an unrepentant spirit. If they're saying, oh, pastor, you know what? I, I am wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that again. Well, then you don't discipline them out necessarily because they are right. repenting. They are changing. You know what I mean? So that, that cycle, you have to understand what we're saying there. Um, right. So he's, he finishes up by saying, I believe we don't need to make it more public than it needs to be, which we kind of address mm-hmm. that. It seems yeah. that only those who are doing the sinning and those sinned against need to be part of the restorative equation unless there is an utter lack of repentance between two Christians. And, mm-hmm. um, hmm, utter, utter lack of repentance between two Christians. Um, like people aren't getting along with each other. Like Euodius and Syntyche. I, um, I was thinking the exact same ones. Um, Philippians, was it chapter 4? Uh, is that right? Four? Um, maybe right. Yeah. I just heard a message on it last, uh, on Monday. Um, so, you know, even there, they're rebuked. They're not necessarily like, 
disciplined out of the church, they're rebuked um, in, yeah. in the Philippians passage there. So I guess you just have to de- define in some ways who's being sinned against. At what point is the church being sinned against for it to be a church you know, issue? Um, he says, and another slightly related question to ponder, how should pastors and churches handle an issue between two members of different churches as opposed to if the parties involved were members of the same church? Whoa. How would you handle it differently or similarly? Okay, wait. How should pastors handle an issue between two members of different churches? Yeah. So somebody from your church is at odds with somebody from my, my church. Right. Okay. How do we deal with that? Well, I mean, the situation can, of course, vary quite a lot. But, I mean, the thing is, <laughs> if I could say it this way, you know, if if it's a, if we're talking in the context of a family, if somebody else's kid is doing something to my kid, I don't so much care about the relationship they have with their kid at the point in time. I just care about protecting my kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If some other kid is trying to hurt my kid, he's going to regret it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. But in other words, my, in other words, I'm not going to just say, "Well, you know, hold on, but you know, keep the fight going for a minute. Let me call your pastor and see what he says about this." Um, no, no. If if the pastor is the picture of a shepherd, one who feeds, you know, there is also other implications in being a shepherd, and that is the the implication of protection of the flock. Um, I'm going to deal, of course, with the person from from our flock as well. But if there's something that needs to be addressed right now, um, I'm, I'm going to talk to the other individual if, if I'm able to, you know, I'm not going to in some necessarily. Way, yeah. You're not really going to him as a pastor. You're going to no. him as a Christian and as a friend of this man that he's hurting and saying, right. up. so you're just really stepping in as a friend to say, yeah. stop doing that. Now, if he, I'd say if he doesn't stop, then you appeal to, I mean, if this is of such a nature, you appeal to his pastor in, in some ways right. in an Acts 15 way to say, look, I've addressed this man as a Christian, as a brother. Right. I have no authority over him, but you do. And this is the testimony that he's leaving. This is the sin that he's perpetuating. Um, you know, yeah. I can, I can, I can try to protect my friend, but I'll just have, you know, you know, that this is, uh, you know, yeah. so at some point you're going to, going to be sure. there. Yeah, and ideally, if you can, if you can do that first, if the situation allows for it, then yes, uh, you know, call up the guy, the pastor, and, and say, hey, you got a guy in your church who's coming over here, and you know, trying to trying to make a Judaizer out of someone over here, yeah, <laughs> or what have you, right. you know, like the, the Acts fifteen scenario. Right now, um, I would I would say though, I wouldn't, I don't think I would approach the pastor first. Uh, all the time. In fact, I don't. I've I've actually had the. Uh, you know, we've had someone call and say, um, "Could or or, or t- tell us, you know, you so and so in your church, you know, he's having this this family issue, and uh, I I'd like you to get involved." Well, honestly, um, it really wasn't our place, you know, to stick our nose into it. It's kind of a. They were calling and saying, "Someone in your own church, right?" Someone had an issue. Yeah, someone in your church is, uh, you know, at, at odds with a family member or something like that. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, is that for for me to come in and say you need to get right with your family member? Um, you know what I mean? At a certain point, um, yeah, it just didn't seem like that. That's not really in our business. Um, in in a sense, in in the sense that I need to step in as the pastor and make sure that this is done correctly. Right. Because well, I, I could go to him as a friend. But then you just have to ask, is this the right time uh, for me to go to him as a friend, especially if I was approached by the one who perceives himself as being wronged by this guy say, well, you know what I mean? It just it's trying to like pull you in on his side. Like, here, take my side against your church member to tell him that he's wrong. Well, okay, if you guys want to come in for counseling, I guess would be one thing. But for me to. You know, but if he's not willing to come in for counseling and I don't know all the details yeah. of the story and all that stuff like that, it's just, um, so sure. In that, well, in, in that in, way, calling the pastor and going, this guy needs to, de-, you know, I don't know. I'd say, yeah. Well, it, in pastoral ministry, there seems to be almost an endless, uh, supply of, of things that are trying to pull you into murky situations <laughs> in people's matters. And 
the more of those things you can stay out of, the better. <laughs> it's like sometimes people don't want to come to you at all. And other times people want to come to you and get your fingerprints on their murder weapon. <laughs> and, right. Uh, uh, don't, don't you agree with me, Pastor? Right. Don't you think? Or, or they, in a sense, want to use you as an appeal to authority to say, right. well, I talked with Pastor Tom and he said this, so you should be on yeah. my side. Your, past, well, your pastor no. said that I was right. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. So, yeah, <laughs> be aware of that. That's an interesting question, though. I'm glad, James, that you asked that, how to handle an issue with your church member versus another church member. Wow. I mean, do you realize in, in one question here from James, we filled an entire episode? Wow. Then we That's, might have uh, to label this one as we have some in the past. This is a James episode. A very, Thank you. A very, very James, James episode. episode. Thank you, James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, uh, I guess that should be it for this one, huh? Yeah, well, isn't that great, um, though? Because it's, it shows how dealing with one one thing and one statement that we've heard, you deal with public sins publicly. What are the nuances of that? What are some What are some thoughts to go into that? Yeah. I appreciate, uh, James, the uh, fodder for a uh, a good discussion on balance here and on perspective. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, before we go into the after show, why don't we pick a, a couple of these and uh, tell the listeners which ones we're going to deal with in the after show okay. well, uh, to whet the appetite a little bit. I haven't even looked at this one. I just love the title. Not sure what to do with this. <laughs> oh. So I don't know if that's a good one or not. Um, uh, um, probably not. Okay, um, okay. It's really someone just asking us if we'll read their book and review it and whatever. Um, Oh, okay. Something like that. Okay. Some somebody I don't know. I uh, have yes. no idea who it is. Okay, I know what you're talking about. No. Um, wow, okay, we got one here on courtship, sin nature, um, physical ailment. Is God predictable? Um, Man. Yeah. There's one here where the creator of that TV series, The Chosen. Yeah. Um, was asked if if he thinks Jesus would use social media if he had it. And he answers that question. Okay. Uh, we could deal with that sure. in the after show. Sure, why not? Um, yeah, we could try that. All right. Well, anyway, we've <laughs> we've gone on long enough here. We're going to have to cut it off with that. Uh, we do thank all of you for uh, being faithful listeners to the podcast. We appreciate it. We're just having fun, having a conversation over here, and uh, we enjoy having you along for the ride. Uh, as always, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is reason together.